0: listening to the simmering thoughts podcast where we sample slow cooked thinking on Christian life and theology I'm your host Ryan Akers and we're beginning a new series with this episode Uh, we hope you enjoy as we bring you a whole series on Christology if you don't already follow us please go to your favorite podcast catcher and subscribe we're on Google Play iTunes Spotify all sorts of others please go find us If you don't already follow us on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at SimmerThoughts. And you can email us at SimmeringThoughts at gmail.com. We hope you enjoy this episode as we kick off our series. Welcome back to Simmering Thoughts. It has been a little while since we've recorded, we're going to begin our new season with an interview that is across continents. This isn't our first intercontinental uh, interview, but it is our first interview with someone from that is currently in. They're not from Europe, but they're currently in Europe, uh, and that is Jonathan Hayashi. and He is currently a student at Southern Seminary and is a pastor, I believe is correct, and uh, he is in Bulgaria right now even though he lives in Missouri, uh, and I'll let him tell a little bit more about why he's there and uh, a little bit more about what's going on in his life and and how it is that uh, uh, he serves the Lord and serves the church. So Jonathan, welcome to Simmering Thoughts, and uh, if you could introduce yourself a little bit more for the listeners.
1: Hi, Brian. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm just really excited to be here with you and just you know converse about the Lord. Uh, there's nothing more I love. You know, I was just reminded as I was studying and spending time in the Word. You know, I was just reminded there are many things perhaps in my life I regret. But one thing I do not ever regret is spending time in the Word. I just cherish it. I love it. And this is something that excites me. That's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And, Amen. you know, that's part of the reason I guess I'm serving as, you know, pastor, shepherding the flock, uh, because, you know, it's it's amazing where you see theology being applied in the lives of people and pastoral care, counseling, discipleship, and equipping the saints. Uh, Ephesians 4, 15, uh, 12, excuse me. And, yeah, so, you know, we're in Bulgaria right now. Uh, in fact, uh, we're just picking up our son. We've been part of uh, international adoption. The Lord has laid on my wife's heart and my heart uh, for this. It, it really just started, like, about two and a half years ago. So uh, this is kind of uh, the result of uh, prayer and fasting mm-hmm. and waiting uh, before the Lord. So we are just really excited uh, for this time. Uh, To be able to pick him up, uh, Lord willing, we're going to go drive the the orphanage today, and then we're going to get to pick him up and bring him to the stateside. So yeah, we covet your prayers.
0: That is fantastic. Uh, It's uh, as a as a school teacher and an elementary teacher, uh, there are so many students that we have, and we have a, a school that's as far as most schools go, it's actually fairly stable families for the most part for our for our school, but. Uh, there are an awful lot of kids that are in the foster system that are part of our school and that are in uh, varieties of different situations with that. And uh, we have several close friends that have adopted uh, here recently. And so that's definitely something that's very exciting to go through and and to experience. And uh, we will continue to pray for you. Certainly uh, as you guys get home and uh, add to your family. Uh, That's always a joyful time to do that. So uh, we are starting a series where, where the whole series is going to be in Christology. And as of right now, Uh, It's looking like 12 different guests, and that number might grow depending on how long I want to keep going on with this. Uh, So we have at least 12 episodes for this series, and we're going to start today uh, in John 1. And the reason that we're going to start there is partially because uh, Jonathan has asked for that particular passage out of several that I uh, had mentioned, and I've been thinking of this kind of as a jigsaw puzzle. If we're going to put together the pieces that make up, the question or the answer to the question, who is Christ? Uh, we're going to we're going to take individual passages and put all those together uh, to to get a good, clear picture. And uh, as we were talking about getting started in John, it, it as I was thinking through the passage, it seems to me like John one really sets the corners uh, to, to allow the rest of the puzzle to fill in, uh, provides us a little bit of a, a, a boundary layer uh, effectively to keep us from making errors in more than one direction. And uh, so today we're going to try to set those corners. This will be our first episode. And then as we go into the other episodes, we'll try to fill in the edges and then fill into the middle a little bit more and and to where we have a nice, rich, deep picture of who is Christ according to the scriptures. And so uh, if as we start, uh, I think what I want to do is read uh, just a little bit from John 1. I think what I'm going to do is read just the first 18 verses. I'm not going to take long with it. And then once we've read that, uh, we'll we'll continue with some questions. And so, John, one, I'm using the CSB tonight. Jonathan, what is your uh, translation of choice?
1: Actually, I love the CSB. Yeah, I usually use CSB and ESV. Okay, um, kind of both together when I preach.
0: Excellent. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed the csb i bought one that was uh there was a sale on them when they first came out and i bought a little handheld version uh that sits in my it's right now in the glove box of my car i keep it there for emergency need and uh, uh i've since bought several of them and that's what i use for studying and teaching as well uh, and so the csb is what we'll, we'll probably be in for the most of the night we might swip, swap around to different ones to pick a particular word here or there but it starts this In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through the light. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light, the true light that gives light to everyone and was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. Indeed, we've all received grace upon grace from his fullness, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God the one and only son who is himself God and is at the father's side has revealed him. And so there's the first 18 uh, verses of John, and that is the bulk of the the chapter. Uh, But there is so much more in there. Uh, So what I want to ask is uh, the, the, the starting question we'll have as we look at each of these is what does this passage reveal to us about Christ? And there are so many ways that you could go with this in this chapter. So I turn it over to you to Jonathan. What does this reveal to us about Christ?
1: wow i mean i feel like after reading those 18 verses i just need to stand up and just give the doxology to the Lord <laughs> amen um because i just think sometimes we kind of bypass these profound truth of God's word right we mm-hmm. just kind of almost look at it from afar like um like like we we see a news and we see these things but yet we're just not emotionally engaged and, yeah and um but, you know, as I often tell to a flock, you know, and we, we engage the word of God, we fill our minds with that. And then we, we, we let our hearts, our affection grow uh, as we worship Christ. And then we invite the will as, as, we, as we respond uh, in, in the work of Christ. Right. Uh, so we inform the mind, we ignite the heart and we invite the will. Uh, it's cognition, affection and volition. Uh, that what the word of God ought to do, and uh, I was just reminded. I just recently preached uh, from the book of John, uh, and uh, Gospel of John. I just love it. It's so profound, right? Um, there's great profundity, uh, thought yet very simple. So I I often you know encourage young believers if they're new in the faith, I direct them to the Gospel of John. Um, because it's so different, right? It's not like the synoptic gospel, like Matthew, Mark, Luke. We see a similarity, but with uh, authorial intent and with the recipient, uh, the flow of it. It just it depends. What you know, Mark has sixteen chapters, Matthew has twenty eight, and you know Luke is a bit longer, and you know John's there, twenty one chapters. But it's just so distinct. You know, I remember I think one of the commentators uh said this it's it's like a pool for a child who could swim but it's like an elephant can swim as well um and it's it's just amazing because you just went through it as you're talking about uh there's so much that we can talk about systematic theology and so forth but just some of the things throughout just the whole gospel of john um you know so we're taking a bird's eye view ten thousand feet above you know when we speak of you know deity of christ book of john is all about it right but right from the start, it says in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God, and the Word was with God, right? And it talks about you know just j- that in itself, you can preach several sermons. And uh, and then and then yet you know Jesus, the profound I am statement, pointing obviously to the Old Testament. So you know uh, Jesus talking about I am the light of the world, John eight twelve. I am the great shepherd. John chapter 10, then Jesus, in the following chapter, he says, I am the resurrection and life. And then John 15, where people often quote, remain in me, abide in me for I am the true vine, right? So, you know, often they say the gospel of John is the book of glory. Um, So it's it's just incredible when we begin to see some of these encounters with Nicodemus in John chapter three and Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman in John chapter four. And you know, then later in chapter five, he says, I'm the bread and life, whoever believes in me shall, you know, never hunger, whoever, whoever comes to me shall never thirst. Um, so so it's it's incredible. It's not just a theoretical idea, uh, but really it, it transformed radically everything within our lives. So so I just wanted to kind of put that backdrop as we begin to think about uh who Christ is and you know, uh, when we talk about the doctrine of Christology, you know, we're talking about two things. We're talking about his, um, his deity of his humanity, and then we're also talking about his divinity. So, humanity and divinity. So, what are you talking about, Jonathan? So, I think this is where often we miss one of the parts as we look at uh, who Christ is. And uh, from John chapter 1 is that Jesus Christ is fully God, uh, even before the creation of the world. I'm going to kind of jump ahead and we re- look at you know Genesis chapter one. It says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. I just want to stop there for a moment uh, why this is such a big deal is because it really talks about one of the fundamentals to the faith uh, when we look at you know Genesis one verse one through two. It says the beginning, God. So we're talking about God the Father created the heaven and earth, and the earth was without form. So there was nothing there, and then it says the spirit of God was hovering. You know, hovering. When we think about that, it's like a, it's like an eagle, like a bird hovers above. I love that word uh, that that it uses there. And then in verse three, and then God said, "Let there be light." There was the word, right? So it's incredible. In the first several verses, we see the doctrine of the Trinity. And I think that points back to John chapter one, in fact, speaking of Christ being truly God himself. And, uh, and I think so often we miss that beauty of John chapter one, verse one, that Christ, Christ is truly fully God. Fully man. And that's the reason it says, I'm just gonna go back again. It says in the beginning was the word, it's pointed to Genesis chapter one. The word was with God, and Word was God. That that's speaking of Christ Himself. And then we know that because later in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says the word became flesh. Uh that's part of the doctrine of uh, um where Christ became, the word became flesh. Uh, where, where Christ dwelt among us, the Christ lived among us. So it points to his humanity that, you know, the virgin birth and, and what, what, what Christ came, uh, in intent of his incarnation. So, so we, we can kind of go on and on and on, but, uh, that, that, that's the basic what we're talking about. Some theologians would say this. It's a hypostatic union. Right. Jesus being fully gone yet fully man. So yeah, that's something that we so often miss if we just quickly just go through John chapter one.
0: Yeah. I think even as we're, especially in the, in the evangelistic context, as we're out in their communities and, uh, we're working with, with folks we contact during the, the course of life, uh, that, that don't have a grounding in what the Bible says. Uh, as you, as you talk to them, they have a fundamental misunderstanding of, that particular concept that God, that that Christ is both God and man. And, you know, that's, I mean, historically that's a huge uh, pitfall. It's a huge heresy that exists. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you, mm-hmm. when you have those local level conversations or even, even in social media type conversations with people who don't believe uh, with an atheist who doesn't understand what we understand about scripture, uh, that's a place that they're going to be coming to, the Bible from as, as separating man and God totally, uh, which is a true statement except for Christ in Christ. We see those two things perfectly blended and, and added together. And, uh, So, you know, what are some of the uh, there's there's historically there's some some big errors here uh, that we need to avoid. And and this passage is one that helps us do that. Uh, What are some of the 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 historic things that that would fall under that or even modern things, uh, different ways that we see this today?
1: Yeah, so this this is where really the rubber hits the road, right? This is where we find quite a bit. So before we get there, I just want to kind of give a bit of a background of the church history. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to look at one of the Church Ecumenical Council, which kind of talks about the Church, uh, the Council of Trent uh, that happened, um, you know, in 1545 or so, EC uh, and uh, AD, excuse me, and um, it, it happened in Northern Italy, and it was really a Catholic counter to the Reformation, which I'm speaking of, the Protestant Reformation, mm-hmm. which we know that happened in 1517 with Martin Luther with the Wittenberg door, he had the 95 Thesis really champion uh, the solas and I'm gonna kind of reference that as well as we kinda of continue on.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, but this I think that around that moment it really began to determine what were the fundamentals to the faith, what were the essentials. You know, if if you're you know sitting in a systematic theology class, they would say these are the doctrinal foundation or some some would say these are first first, second, third degree. Uh, But this is the first fundamental. I just did a podcast covering on this topic Mm -hmm. with my co-hosts. But just, you know, uh, evolving uh, just issues of the doctrine what are what are just essentials and i think these are some of the essentials that we have and one of them it kind of touched touch on this because it's essential it's the virgin birth uh that pointed to the deity of christ the divinity of christ which was argued at 325 a.d at the Ni- nicene creed the council of nicaea which is another ecumenical council against against the length the and and then also, while we're talking about John 1, hypostatic union, uh, incarnation of Christ, uh, which is Christ is fully God and fully human, which is against Arianism, which we could talk a bit about as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arius and then how Athanasius, one of the great early church fathers, came and countered that. Uh, another thing which I kind of talk about just kind of interflows back and forth. It's not like separate separate issues, but doctrine of the Trinity. It holds everything together, which is speaking uh the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit or one. Uh this was argued during the you know Council of Constantinople, uh which was against modalism. Like God somehow had some molds and different things, which is a heretical teaching. Uh what you know, depravity of human, you know, doctrine of homartiology, doctrine of anthropology, which was really against spiritualism. And then I mentioned about the Protestant Reformation. Uh, which I love it because it wasn't a Protestant revolt. They were reforming. They were forming back to what Scripture intended to, the five solas, justification by faith alone. Ephesians two eight. Against really Roman Catholicism. Uh, I would say last but not least is doctrine of the inerrancy of Scripture. The Scripture is the sole authority, has absolutely, it's inerrant, infallible, inspired, and sufficient for all things of life, which is really the higher criticism uh, against liberalism. So that being said, putting it the backdrop, it really kind of comes back again. Doctrine of Christology against modalism or Arianism. Uh, it's 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 because it's the foundation of cr- Christianity. Uh, what doctrine of the Trinity? And just so you know, if you try to define the Trinity, you're going to lose your mind. But if you try to deny it, yeah. the Trinity, you're going to lose your soul, yeah. as one one famous preacher said. So. So where to start there? I, I think, um, you know, again, Arianism. I think we do have to mention Arius. And I was like, so so. what's the issue there? Like, what, what was going on with uh, Arianism? Uh, it, you know, so, uh, Athanasius was a 4th century priest and uh, bishop at Alexandria. And what Arius was trying to propose was that somehow Christ was less of a person. So when we say fully God, fully man, that could be, Kind of hard to understand, isn't it? Just what does that mean, Jonathan? Like, I'm a fully father and I'm fully a husband, but yet fully a son. What what are we talking about? It's almost like, you know, we have a Christian academy in our school. I spoke at chapel. I was trying to teach to these children the doctrine of the Trinity. And sometimes we so often take advantage, but I remember, you know, showing a pie to them and I cut in three pieces. You know, some people say the doctrine of Trinity is like this. There's 33% the Father, 33% the Son, 33%, you know, the Holy Spirit. And that 100% makes the God, you know, God who He is. And I said, no, that's wrong. He's 100% the Father. He's 100% the Son. And He's 100% the Holy Spirit. Yet one God. And it doesn't make one better or less. And the Arius was saying that because Christ was submissive to the Father, he was less than the Father, which was a huge issue. Because because you're you're putting less in that's one of the things, you know, you're talking about church history in the past, and then what about modern? I would say, you know, Jehovah's Witness. You know, I did a whole thesis on the paper on this, on the on their translation they used, the New World Translation which specifically mm-hmm. changes John chapter 1, verse 1. And they say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and Word was a God. That's a huge issue if you look at the original text, uh, you know, Koine Greek, uh, because that's not just a, an, a, just a God, it, because it didn't work out with their system, so denied it. So I was saying mm-hmm. the Jehovah's Witness, they're not part of the universal church. They're not all of us. They're not brothers and sisters in Christ because they're denying one of the core doctrine, doctrinal foundation, first degree. Um, you know, Albert Moeller, uh, he made a famous saying, uh, doctrinal triage, uh, That denying this huge, huge doctrinal issue. Um, so I think in modern day, we see that heresy error uh, that we can easily slip into. But no, Jesus was truly indeed fully gone, Fully man, never separated his divinity of good, and somehow because Arius believed his flesh was bad, it was evil. So, so Jesus' humanity was not true, Um, you know, which which denies the hypostatic union uh, that 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 we are speaking on. And uh, there's just a huge issue there. That talking about what about Sermon on uh, what about Temptation, Mount of Temptation, John chapter. Uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 4. You know, what about baptism of Christ, you know, where we see the Father saying, this is my son, who I am pleased, Holy Spirit came down, Jesus there, right? That's that's a trinity uh, mm-hmm. that's displayed, uh, But it, it, it undermines uh, Christ and it, it enables, you know, almost Jesus being fully, truly divine in his nature. Uh, so it kind of goes on and on uh, some of these heretical errors that we see uh, in, in Arianism, Modalism and so forth.
0: Those are things that, uh, you know, there's there's folks who still teach modalism, uh, even in, in America today and really worldwide that that see that that God. Oh, he's in this moment. He's this. Well, then he just it's like almost like he puts on a new coat. Take off one coat, put on another coat. Now he's playing a different mm-hmm. role. Uh, that idea of modalism is is dangerous because uh, it confuses the acts that God Does that are revealed to us. Uh, He's revealed himself as the father. He's revealed himself as the son and he's revealed himself as the spirit. But those are three persons. They're not different aspects of God. They are God. And it's, it's something that it's hard to write it down. It's hard to draw a picture of it. It's hard to have an analogy for it. And when you do, you tend to distort things. And I think that's one of the things that that modalism is uh, and Arianism both are guilty of is distorting uh, what is clearly in the Word, and in some cases outright denying, uh, like as you mentioned with the the Jehovah's Witnesses, that we, they're outright denying that Christ is uh, a deity. And you know, as you read further into uh, into one of John's letters in First John, you know, denying of the deity of Christ is. To say that Christ is not God, okay. Now, how can some someone that is not God do the things that Christ does? And so you end up uh, denying other parts of Scripture at the same time, uh, and it really messes with how folks understand and and how folks hear what we tell them when we when we speak of who Christ is and when we share the gospel with folks. Uh, those who hold to these things or who have just kind of accepted it because they've been steeped in it. It's not that they've studied or anything. It's not that they've read much. They're just steeped in a, a culture that sees Christ through the Aryan lens, because it's, that's more the default view, I, I think, for most folks. As they look at who is Jesus, uh, they, they don't think of him as God. You know, They know he's an important person but they don't think of him as God. And I have to apologize. There are some booms going off in the background where I live. I forgot tonight we're recording on a Saturday night. And uh, in the previous years, Friday night has been fireworks night around. Uh, We have a a theme park in our backyard. (laughs) Basically, I live about half a mile away. And uh, they used to run fireworks on Friday nights this year, uh, largely because of COVID stuff. uh, They have shifted fireworks to Saturday nights. And so they were just finishing their show, I think. As I was talking there, so I don't know if that showed up. I don't know if you even heard it, uh, but I can hear oh, it in my ear. No. Uh, so, but uh, and it's it awesome. the nice big finish there. Uh, it's it's a fantastic show. So, uh, but uh, and usually I can see it. The room I'm sitting in, if I were turned looking away from my computer instead of at it, I, I'd have had a perfect shot of the whole show. Uh, we get to watch from inside, which is less bugs and and less sound and less of the boom, but you still get all the pretty. So but uh you know as as we look at what culture does with who is Christ uh these are errors that that we run into you know I I teach the the youth at our church and at times uh, you can hear these little little hints toward the idea of what is uh, arianism or what is modalism as they talk through what they understand of Christ. And so it's a, it's a teaching process for them, for me to be able to say, well, it doesn't work the way that this seems like. It doesn't work the way that culture says. It works the way that scripture says. And getting that fully into their minds, some of them don't quite uh, grasp that yet. And that's okay, because they're teenagers and not all of them are saved in the first place. Uh, and so it takes a little bit for them to, to get their minds wrapped around what it is scripture is saying. And, uh, the idea of, of Christ, if Christ is not God, there are so many passages that totally are, uh, emptied of anything they actually say. And we're going to cover a lot of those passages as we get through the rest of the series. Uh, but here in John, that's definitely something that's a, a major point, uh, that, that Christ is God. And, and I think that the, that Christ is the word, the eternal, the, the Greek word there logos or Lagos, or however, I'm not, I'm not studied in pronunciation, but uh, (laughs) not in that part, Uh, but that, that particular word is so important as, as something that the Greek world would have recognized that word for its importance. And we don't see it, it, the word word doesn't mean as much to us because most of our folks aren't that steeped in, uh, the, the things that surrounded uh, the culture where John is writing and and things that are baked into the cake for us They didn't deal with and vice versa And so historically there's a big mix there and I, I think one of the things that catches me uh, Along those lines is as we get into uh, Further into that particular section and unfortunately my spare computer is not behaving very very well right now uh, There we go uh, and that's as we get to um, where did it go? Oh, there it is, <laughs> verse twelve is is one of the things twelve and thirteen that catch my my mind, but to all do who received Christ, he gives them to the right to be children of God, those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or will of the flesh but the will of the uh, or the will of man, but are born of God that right there that that there's something about. The believing in his name and the name of Jesus that takes all of the things that we think of our identity in terms of uh, that we were born, who our natural descent is, the will that we have as an individual, uh, the will of our flesh uh, or the will of another man. Even uh, those things are not present. And then in the next verse in 14, it goes from that and it takes that same idea of the flesh, but it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that uh, the, the, the word that was there at the beginning lived among men and we got to see his glory. And that's something John could say uh, with his own two eyes. And, and he leans on that uh, personal relationship, that personal eyeball uh, seeing Jesus that we don't get. We don't have the luxury 2,000 years later of saying, I have put my eyes upon the body of Jesus. We can't say that. What we can say that is we've seen Jesus in his acting among us. And that's a little bit different. And some folks have a hard time with that different type of witnessing where that that by faith and where we have seen God working around us through the the words of Christ. uh, We see that. But how do we describe that to somebody else becomes a more challenging thing in terms of evangelism and just in terms of, of talking about faith with folks. Uh, and, and it goes on that the glory uh, of the, the one and only son from the father. And so we're connecting the word and the son and that there's flesh involved here. And that whole idea as you were getting into the hypostatic union that that that's where a lot of that weight sits but it's so beautiful. (laughs) And, and as we look at that, it, it opens up so much more of scripture. It, it allows us to see that there's more to this Jesus than just his flesh. And there's more to this Jesus than, which is, this is weird to say that there's more to Jesus than God because God is an all encompassing uh, being, but yet we have, this person, Christ in the flesh, who is also God. And so we're not adding to God, but God is coming in flesh. And so there's some errors mm-hmm. that, that are that are centered around that. Is, is, is God adding to himself? I, I've heard some recent things uh, in, in other parts of the uh, church, not necessarily in Baptist world, uh, but in some other corners of the church related to us, uh, that are fighting that very thing of, of what is God's nature in terms of how he relates to creation. And I think Christ is the, the easiest picture we have for that. Uh, but there are other ways as well. But that, that kind of plays into uh, who Christ is, is that that is this God adding to himself? Is this God picking up something new? Is this God changing uh, to become flesh? So I'm interested in uh, what you would have to say to somebody who might take a line like that that says, well, God had to pick up human flesh. And so now this flesh is is just flesh. And the real part is God. So if they're erring to that side, that that Jesus was more God than he was man.
1: Yeah, I I think, you know, again, you know, I mentioned earlier the Gospel of John is known as the book of glory that kind of comes with the idea of the Old Testament, right? Yeah. Which the Old Testament, you know, we see the Mosaic Tabernacle, and that's where it was a symbol for people that where the presence of God was. And especially when we look at the, you know, the tabernacle, uh, within the tabernacle, we see um, the Ark of the Covenant where the angels gather and they see the Shekinah glory. That's the presence of God where the glory of God, the manifestation of God dwelt with the people. Well, Jesus comes in the picture, and Jesus breaks that, and he said, God is with us. You know, he, he, he came. He's truly with us. Um, I think um, when we think about that, we think about the person of Christ, we're talking about fully God, but also the work of Christ, right? So like John, again, on and on and on, talks about his miracles. It's pretty incredible, right? I mean one of yeah. the first miracles he turns 150 gallons of water into wine, John two, and Jesus heals a boy, John chapter four, and um Samaritan woman, you know, I talked about, you know, John 4 says giving water. Mm-hmm. Um so so wait, so you're saying that Jesus is just like a superman you know, he's just all this divinity and did these miracles. But if we undermine his humanity, well, he really had emotions, right? Jesus wept in John 11, it says, mm-hmm. I mean, so we're, we're looking, we're taking not just, you know, just ice eating, just one part of that, you know, John one, I mean, it has to touch other parts Right. as we cross as we look the whole council of God's word. Um, I mean, there is truly Jesus humanity where he's hungry. He's thirsty. He, you know, I thirst from the cross, the seven last words he says. It, it shows just his frailty. You know, so sometimes, uh, you know, let's, let's say you're doing evangelism, you're sharing the gospel with the Muslim. And I say, well, Jesus is just a good man. He was a good prophet. Um, we have an issue with that, you know, and yes. how do you counter that? And you just go to, you, you actually go on the basis of scripture and, and people are like, well, I don't know about Muslim. No, just stay rooted and grounded in the word. It's kind of like Charles Spurgeon says, you know, you know, let loose uh, the word of God, the lion can take, you know, defend itself. Right. Yeah. And that, that's, that's where we really just expound on the scriptures to help people understand that no, Jesus is really truly, himself. And just kind of like C.S. Lewis in *Mere Christianity made an argument, you know, I, I often use it with our students. Jesus was either a lunatic, you know, because he was just crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, as he was saying, he was God himself, God incarnate. Or Jesus was a liar, right? Like, is he really lying about himself? That he was God? Or Jesus, in fact, was Lord? And it has to be the last one. He was indeed Lord. He indeed was truly who he was. The flesh wasn't something less, mm-hmm. you know. So when people say Jesus was a Superman, I was like, no, Jesus was the God Man. Right. You see, um, as as we as we begin to understand, and there's so many other issues, right? I mean, you know, we're talking about the whole Council of God's world. I, I remember talking to someone uh, recently. They said, "Oh." Genesis 1 through 11, that wasn't a true event. That was almost like a fairy tale. It's a made-up story, and it still can consist and be okay. One of the issues, I said, okay, let's say that's true. Let's say Adam was a figurative character. How do you reconcile Romans, in Romans, where he says, we are Adam's seed, and we've sinned. Mm-hmm. all fallen short of the glory of God Romans 3:23 how do you reconcile now again this is more deep into exegesis how do you reconcile the genealogy between Luke chapter 3 and Luke chapter 4 why is it there and why does Matthew chapter 1 have a different genealogy
0: mm-hmm.
1: well the whole point fast sto- uh, long story short is that John chapter 3, between John chapter four, right there. It's trying to prove that Christ is greater than Adam. And Christ, because if you read it, you will find out. Matthew chapter one starts with Abraham going all the way to Jesus, pointing to his Davidic kingship, fulfilling second Samuel chapter seven, Davidic covenant. When we see Luke chapter three, he Starts with Jesus going all the way back to Adam. And he says, Adam is the son of man, son of God. So he parallel compares both of them. This is biblical theology. Points that Jesus, even though Adam had a perfect environment, he sinned in the garden. Jesus had a terrible situation, yet he conquered. Adam had all the food he needed. Jesus was hungry. He didn't eat anything for 40 days. Yet he conquers Satan. Adam had a companion, Eve yet failed. Jesus alone in the garden with beast around the mount of temptation. But it just points to the fact that what Adam couldn't do, the son of son of God, Jesus the true son of God, undid everything Adam couldn't do. So he's pointing back all the way to the garden, mm-hmm. Genesis three doctrine of origin or, or the origin of sin. So all that really matters, right? Like all that like as we look about look to Christ, we can't rip one thing out of context. And and because it's it, it, it di, di, there's significant issue and the person said, you know what? I haven't really thought about that. There's huge implication when we deny one part of scripture and say, well, that doesn't work, I'm going to rip it out and we're just going to focus on this. Um, because it consists with every single aspect from historical redemptive history all the way to Old Testament to Revelation on the eschaton. You know, Christ's divinity uh, needs to be truly true in order for us to really have a firm foundation in Christ's justification in the present or sanctification to the future glorification. So yeah, so long story short, I think uh, those are some of the major errors. Yeah. Uh, mistakes uh, soteriologically doctrine of salvation that would really have huge implication uh, if we denied uh, the nature and the deity and the attribute of God.
0: And so, as we take that and and you know we look at the the rest of the chapter as we move toward the last half of of chapter one, there uh, you were you were mentioning how the the Old Testament builds upon or that the New Testament is built upon the foundation of the Old Testament. That, you know, what we know about Christ, uh, we see that in better relief and in better detail in contrast to Adam and in contrast to David um, and in parallel. And, and where do they parallel and where do they intersect? How are they similar and different? But there's a, a, a part at the end uh, of the last half of John one uh, where John is uh, standing there talking to a couple of his disciples. This is in verse thirty five. And then in verse 36, he sees Jesus passing by and he says, look, the Lamb of God. And as you as you hear that, you think there's all sorts of places that your mind could go with that. What does Mm -hmm. this Lamb of God thing mean? And I know, again, that we're we're taking this and John is identifying him as the Lamb of God and that this has this. This is an echo uh, pointing us backwards into the Old Testament, but it's also uh, a pronunciation that's moving us forward toward revelation at the same time. Uh, it's it's doing two purposes at the same time with one statement. I wish I was that good of a teacher as John that I could do something like that uh, <laughs> on my own without help. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's able to sit here and just say, hey, look, here's the Lamb of God. And uh, as, as we have it in another spot where it tells the same basic story, he doesn't just say, here's the Lamb of God. He says, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so that takes it even a step beyond just that this is the lamb of God. This is the lamb of God who also does this. Um, you know, as we look at some of the things that that, that are current, even in the church in some ways and, and outside of the church as we evangelize, the idea that, that uh, sin is is downplayed by so many that it's kind of written off to the side in terms of what it is that Christ does. And so so we see this word coming, but the word puts on flesh and demonstrates God's glory among us by doing certain things. And one of those things is that he's the lamb of God. You mentioned earlier the the miracles that he does and the miracles to me it is so amazing how many of those miracles are things that are ritually unclean according to the Jews and according to the Old Testament that A Jew is supposed to have nothing to do with, and by touching it, it makes the clean unclean, except for Jesus, so that when the unclean encounters Jesus, the unclean becomes clean. And so that right, just that idea of that he is the one who, when the unclean touches him, the unclean becomes clean rather than the other way around, sets him apart as a different Uh, A a different kind of human. He's human. He's fully human, but also fully God. And that's what that that difference makes uh, a huge difference. That's why he's different. But we also have this lamb of God thing, which takes that idea of he takes away uncleanness and moves it even to another standpoint, you know, he kind of elevates even the idea of what it means to make the unclean clean in that he's the lamb of God who takes away sin. Where do we go if someone needs to understand that a little bit? They, they just can't get their mind wrapped around what that means, the Lamb of God.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I think, I think sometimes even in our preaching, you know, we can tend to be more leaning towards one or the other Old Testament or New Testament. I, I think, unfortunately, sadly, uh, a lot of our preaching focus more on the New Testament. Uh, one of the heroes of my faith is A.W. Tozer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think he said it really well. He said, we need a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And, uh, in order for us to really truly need to understand that statement, we need to again understand the whole scope of the covenant theology, you know. And when I say covenant, I'm, I'm talking about the covenant, such as, you know, Genesis chapter 12, it talks about the Abrahamic covenant where God looks at Abraham and promises, Hey, I'm going to give you the land and give you the nations uh, right and, and it would be like the stars and, you know abraham didn't know what that meant and isaac and you fast forward to genesis chapter 22 he says you know offer your son isaac whom you love and um and that that obviously is aha moment right i mean it is as we're and reading same with you. Nice. i mean the old testament and then you're seeing the whole the bigger story uh kevin DeYoung. I uh, wrote a book for children. I read it to our girls often. It's great, great book. It sees not only from a New Testament uh, perspective, but the whole scope of what we're saying. So, so we need to understand, you know, and, you know, the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12, pointing to the fulfillment in Christ. We see, I already mentioned, um, the Davidic covenant in Second Samuel chapter 7, the throne and the kingship and the authority, the rule, the, the root, root, rule that Christ is gonna have, Jesus is gonna fulfill it. When we see, you know, um, the Mosaic Covenant that we really couldn't even keep 10 laws, you know, in Exodus 20. Uh, Christ himself came to undo that. And he says, you know, Matthew Matthew 22, you know, like what are the great commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then the New Covenant we see in Judges, I believe 31, pointing to Christ himself all these things are pointing to him, and that all those, you know, I said the I am statement. It's it's to, to fulfill, uh, you know, in the Old Testament that was promise of the 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 promised Lamb of God who was going to come to undo it. And Christ came, revealed not only just His nature, but His right again the person of Christ and the work of Christ uh, that was consistent with both. Right, um, you know, I, I often you know tell to our flock is, you know, He gives, he fulfills, he fills us uh, with eternal satisfaction in Christ for the glory of his name. You know, in and the on and on, I'm divine. There's union with Christ. Is there anything outside of Christ? Is there knowledge outside of Christ? Is there grace outside of Christ? Is there, is there rest outside of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Aristotle says, my heart is restless until I rest in you. So there's so many implications as we begin to study the deity and the nature and the attribute of God, uh, that, that we begin to realize, oh, that Lamb of God statement. I mean, it's not just, uh, like a slogan we throw out. It's, there's huge implications in our lives, uh, that, that, that we lose in that our hearts are not really, uh, in, in awe of exaltation, glorifying God, mm-hmm. uh, if we only truly grasp and understand. What that statement meant and how that applies in our lives. You know, that's, I think, I'm very, very much passionate about that because that is, that is, that is what truly mankind, who we are, are in need uh, as we continue to learn and grow as followers of Christ. You know, so yeah.
0: yeah. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this and, and instead of talking, we so far we've looked at it, in, uh, especially in terms of. Uh, knowledge of history and in in uh, evangelistic uh explanation type uh perspectives and i, I want to take it instead of looking outward from us i want to you know, kind of turn it around from being the the micro uh, the uh, telescope into a microscope <laughs> and so as as we look mm-hmm. at ourselves uh a question i have for you is is what are some ways that that as you've studied this, maybe even over time, you know I studied it back then, and then I looked at it again, and now I've looked at it yet again, and and how have you grown uh, in your understanding of these particular concepts that are in here in John one, uh, and and how is that a fuel uh, for driving devotion and and for driving uh, your heart toward Christ, or maybe even. Uh, in what ways have you been rebuked by this passage or corrected by this passage uh, as you've studied it? How how has it caused you to uh, to to change how you look at who Christ is?
1: Yeah, I think when we see really truly in light of the glory of God, the grandeur of God, to know how mighty you know we. You know, I'm thinking about as we think about the word became flesh. Yeah. The omnipotence of God, which we're saying he's all powerful, the omniscient God, the one who is all knowing, the one who's omnipresent, who is everywhere, but specifically, he came down. This is kind of like Philippians 2, right? Mm -hmm. Where Christ humbles himself, even to the point of death. Wow. I think that ought to cause us to really just be in awe and worship who this God is. I mean, you know, I grew up in Japan as in well my life. Mm-hmm. I was surrounded by Shintoism, Buddhism, and prior to coming to the States, I was studying in Malaysia, which M- Malaysia Southeast Asia, known as a Muslim nation. There was Hinduism and so forth you know it's interesting when you study other world religion Mm -hmm. they say this god or this way only welcomes the obedient the faithful the enlightened the one who hit nirvana because of good works but jesus christ absolutely counters that yeah jesus christ instead came to totally Depraved, wicked, wretched, lost sinners who had nothing to offer. Yeah, I just, I, I, just, I just. So often we miss that when we say Jesus saves. It's, it's a biblical, profound term, but we have almost watered down the gospel in our because we don't realize how wicked we are. We are, we are in our death in our sin. We're strange. We're ignorant of the truth. We're bondage in our habits and our vice. Fear get, entangles us. The habitual sin, um, and, and we're, we're we're destined for hell. Despair of self indulgence, alienation, pressures from this world, meaningless of life. Uh, it's kind of like the story of you know uh, the Samaritan woman. Yep. The Samaritan's woman is our story. We're talking about Exodus. The you know, Exodus, the the, cap, the golden cap, is our own story. We live for our own glory, for our own pleasure, and our own um, life. Yet Christ comes, sees us from afar, and he comes down to seek us. You know? you know, so often religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. But the gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: And I just think, I just think, I just don't want to ever miss that. You know, I remember, you know, again, like this is where it's really little and nothing against. But again, I love Sunday school. And But I was a little kid, maybe like in kindergarten. And uh, I remember my Sunday school teacher said this, children, God created you. Because you see, God felt really lonely. You see, he really wanted a friend. And God created you so he could be happy. And you could be his friend uh, today. And i was like, oh, that's awesome. I can do something great for God. You know, I can contribute something, you know, <laughs> in my own foolish mind, but realizing later on in life, I was like, no, God created me for the glory of his name. God created, as the Westminster Catechism said, What is the chief end of man? What is the chief goal of man? The chief end of man is to really glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's the glory of his name. God is the one. I'm the one who's wicked, wretched, lost, and misery, depraved, wicked sinner, who had nothing to offer, who's in poverty-strickenness, but yet God? Full, abundant, in grace, in glory, rich, compassionate, loving. And there is no way for me to find my way to God. Mm-hmm. So what God did, he found a way to us by sending his son to save us from our wickedness. So, you know, uh, as the reformers say, you know, tulip, uh, the, you know, those initials, you know, I truly believe we are absolutely totally depraved. And and, and by God's unconditional election of his grace, uh, he has, you know, L, which some people don't like, it's limited atonement. And, and then by his irresistible grace, four and fifth, by perseverance of the saints, mm-hmm. uh, he, he has allowed us by his, uh, his, 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 marvelous grace, uh, you know, where our sin is, our many, his grace and his mercies even more, uh, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And, and Jesus, Jesus is the manifestation of, uh, the revelation of his love um as as the father crushes only begotten son isaiah speaks of um as as he expiation he expiated his sin unto his son in imputation of christ's righteousness unto us he clothed us with his righteousness so jesus has become um you know the the object of wrath and we were saved because christ took every penalty every sin and jesus drank that cup and he says it is finished so again, you know, uh, like, like I said, you know, need is not worthy of the creator. Mm. You know, need, need is a language for us. We were unworthy. We are desperately need of God every moment of our life. Uh, so I think when we think about Christ and his, his role and what he has done and so much more than, you know, uh, so we got to see the whole scope of, you know, s- salvation. Starting from election, Ephesians 1, we see the gospel called the presentation of the gospel, evangelism. Uh, And then we see regeneration, which is the doctrine of the pneumatology of the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 3, we are born again. And then conversion, faith, and repentance that comes in. Then justification, declared righteousness that Christ does in Romans 3. And then we're adopted, you know, as we're, I'm, I'm going through adoption right now, adopting our son, but he is. Adopted us in the of darkness, the kingdom of life, and how the sanctification work, you know, a sanctification doesn't provide our justification, but it proves our justification. Yeah. He was beginning a good work in you, will complete it. Philippians chapter one. Then Christ will continue to persevere us by his grace. It's not of our own, so no man may boast. Simply to the cross we cling. And then there's death, absent from the body, present with the Lord, and finding glorification. All that ties in together to the person of Christ and the work of Christ, and it holds it all together, and um, that—that's how it rebukes me, uh, because there's nothing I contributed. As Jonathan Edwards, uh, America's greatest theologian, was saying, "You have done nothing to contribute to your salvation except for the sin that made it necessary." Mm-hmm. And Christ, uh, God moved the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, sent the Son as a mediator uh, to save us, because there was nothing we could save not even, or skin uh, from eternal condemnation of hell. Uh, so, so, so God made a way.
0: God made and, a way.
1: Uh, yeah, so enough of my preaching, uh, <laughs> but I, I just get really excited as oh, yeah. we think about how this applies in our life, you know? I think it has huge implications in every way uh, oh, yeah. as we think about who Christ is in John 1
0: yep. and,
1: and many other verses, yeah.
0: And, and one thing I don't want to leave the opportunity away as we're looking at this passage, is you know in so many ways is what you, what you've been talking about with the uh, the the whole scope of what salvation is that we have this Lamb of God who's sent uh, to be the sacrifice for us because we can't because our flesh is incapable uh, that this mm-hmm. Lamb is sent and that that it's just simple it's in, it's it's as simple as a few words in here. Uh, That those who receive him, those who believe in his name, that's the key. When you hear this, when those of you that are listening, when you hear that you are not capable of standing before God in any way, shape or form without massive judgment falling on your head, yet God knowing that sent himself in the person of Christ, the son to be your sacrificial lamb on your behalf and it just takes belief in this truth in his name as to who he is that he is that lamb and trusting in him and as you've said trusting in nothing else just him and you will be saved and you will be uh, you will be born of God you will be given the right to be God's child above and beyond. I mean, if we think about all the sins that we've ourselves done, just the little tiny piddly ones, just the ones that, that are enough to make somebody just frustrated with you, not actually angry, just frustrated. Just those is enough for death. And yet life is offered instead in the person of Christ. And that's, that's part of the reason I wanted to get into this particular study is because of the, the, the sharpening that it's going to give me personally in terms of evangelism, but even more so the sharpening it's going to give me as I look at who is Christ. And as I think on that and meditate on that, as we all should every day, um, you know, digging into these passages and, and uh, turning them before us and seeing how they connect in spider web out to other scriptures uh, is, is part of what, you know, as I think about the, how I've grown in devotion and discipleship through these passages, that's, Often the 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 beginnings of it is this piece connected. Oh, that connects over here, and that gives me a a stronger base of understanding and and uh, a deeper love of all the things that have gone into God loving me, and uh, that in itself is a correction. You know, as as you as we're learning, every learning opportunity starts as a correction of ignorance at the least, and uh, and and those places where I've misunderstood or just didn't think about it, uh, that, that this passage, especially just the depth of, of the, the, the fullness of Christ that shines through here. Um, it's a, it's such a beautiful picture, but it's not the whole picture. That's the even better part. It's just part of it. And it kind of gives us our, our groundings and as we look at some of these other passages, we're going to flesh that out and add color and and depth and and it's going to be an even more beautiful package passage or uh, package picture, I should say. There's the word I'm looking for: picture. I mean, a more beautiful picture at the end than it is even with what we've just we've just been talking about now for an hour. Uh, as as we dig in more, Christ becomes more and more beautiful, and I think that's the that's another thing I want to to lean on as we look at this series. Uh, and, and so I guess this feels like a wrap up point. So I'm going to take it. Uh, these are the, the endings of these, for those of you that don't know what happens on the backside of a podcast, uh, the ending of a podcast is a lot like the ending of a sermon at times in that you think, you know, where it's going to end, but it tells you that it's ready sometimes at different places. This is one of those times where I, I I think this is a good spot to end it. Uh, and so I want to say thank you, Jonathan, for being on. Uh, it's a, a beautiful passage that we have. Well, especially thank you for taking the time out while you are uh, away uh, from home, while you're out traveling, uh, and especially thank you for being involved in the adoption process uh, internationally. Uh, to, that that you get to picture out in your life uh, for this young man uh, some of the things, and this is a a good analog to start teaching about Christ as you go along and uh, you know, just caring for somebody who uh, is in a situation in life where they probably don't feel very well loved. Uh, You know, those who are in the, in the adoption uh, I don't want to say the word adoption pool, but that's probably the best term there is. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's not a place where those children feel like they belong very often and giving, that child, an opportunity to belong is, is such an important part of, uh, a way that we can serve our communities and that, that we can live out the love Christ has shown us. So I want to thank you for doing that. Uh, and thank you for, for taking time out in the midst of that, uh, to make a phone call halfway across the world, uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, sit and talk about this for an hour this morning. It's morning for you and evening for me. And, uh, I, I'm grateful for brothers and sisters in Christ like you who will take time out to, to talk on these podcasts. So uh, again, thank you very much. Uh, is there anywhere on social media that you'd like to direct folks if they haven't found you yet to where they can get, get in touch with you?
1: Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I contribute and write uh, different things, columnists and um, you know um, publish few books But you can find all the information on my website, uh Jonathan, hayashi.com if you want to follow me on twitter it'll be uh twitter.com slash jonathan hayashi uh, my full name and you know instagram and facebook if you like uh just some of the content uh by uh, weekly i write different articles of you know how theology uh you know applies into our doxology and our lives and and how does that affect our you know Disopship, leadership, missiology, and church health. Those are some of the areas that I specifically focus on. So yeah, I love to connect, uh, in any way. Uh, and thank you again for allowing me to be part of, uh, this podcast today. It was, it was just really awesome. So thank you.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much. And uh, coming up soon, ladies and gentlemen, will be another episode in our Christology series. I'm not going to tell you now who it's going to be because, quite honestly, I haven't recorded it yet and I haven't decided who's going to go second yet. So those decisions are coming later. But want to thank you for listening. You can find us, uh, Simmering Thoughts, on Twitter and on Facebook at Simmer Thoughts. Uh, you can send us emails to SimmeringThoughts. Uh, sorry, SimmeringThoughts at gmail.com. Dot com. I'm clearly a little rusty having not recorded in almost a year. <laughs> and uh, uh, we are also on Instagram, I think also as simmer thoughts, but it's been a while since I've looked at that. Uh, and I will be posting things as we get closer. Uh, and as we move through uh, adding each episode, those will be coming out as well. So please look for those. Uh, once again, Jonathan, thank you. And uh, until next time, I hope you all take an opportunity to dig into God's word and see how beautiful Christ is. And let that uh, just turn your your mind to devotion and to love. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Simmering Thoughts. If you would like to learn more about the podcast or interact with us, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Simmer Thoughts. You could also send us an email at simmeringthoughts at gmail.com. Make sure you go to your favorite podcast catcher and subscribe so you can catch every episode of this season as we discuss Christology throughout Old and New Testament books. We look forward to releasing another episode for you next week. Until then, have a great week.